In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Ay, ay, ay. Um, I actually think I've got something to say. I just don't know if I wrote it down very well. So bear with me. Bear with me and know that I feel somewhat fortunate this morning. And the reason I feel somewhat fortunate this morning is because unlike most of you, I'm assuming, I've had a lot more time to ruminate on today's pericope from chapter 16 in the Gospel according to Luke, the parable of the dishonest steward. It's a story that makes us feel uncomfortable, but I, but I promise you, if you give it time and space, you will be able to hear both the subtle and the not-so-subtle challenges of which there are many embedded within this very strange, these very strange verses, this very strange text, a text that requires quite a lot of unpacking. On a very practical level, our first thought might be to wonder together whether Luke actually got it right here. Perhaps here a scribe made an error in translation. I'm reminded of a funny story that my father used to tell. It's a story about a Roman Catholic monk who, when studying ancient manuscripts, discovered a grave doctrinal error which was the result of a spelling mistake in a papal edict and in the catacombs excitedly exclaiming to the brothers above him from the lowest chamber in the monastery, I've got great news, there was an R missing, it's celebrate. <laughs> Charles Cusar, who is one of my favorite scholarly commentators on the Sunday lectionary wrote that Luke 16, 1 to 13 is one of the great exegetical mountains of all of Holy Scripture. With that in mind, we might put today's gospel in a bucket alongside confounding texts like the binding of Isaac and with other numerous texts, biblical texts that are hard to trust, biblical texts that re require that we ask ourselves very hard questions, theological questions. Did God really ask Abraham to sacrifice a son today? Does Jesus really mean what he says? That he wants us to make friends for ourselves by means of dishonest wealth? Thinking of that marvelous story from the Hebrew scriptures about Jacob and the feisty angel, 
My exegesis helped me this week to wrestle with the passage. And in wrestling with the passage, I think I found a blessing within it. Charles Cusar's exegesis begins by putting the package, passage in the wider context of chapter 16, a chapter that includes Jesus telling his disciples that they cannot serve God in wealth, that the Pharisees are lovers of money, and Luke writes a chapter that ends with the story about the rich man and Lazarus. In a bit of exegetical mediation or maneuvering, we might better understand what Luke or Jesus may have been trying to get us to think about. We might find the blessing if we start off by asking an early question. Why in the world was the dishonest manager commended by his master for acting shrewdly? What did he do to earn his master's praise? Perhaps he got himself out of the pickle by exercising one or two rather clever options. He might have excluded or reduced the entrance, interest on the loans his master made, which would have been adhering to Deuteronomistic law, which would have made him not only shrewd, but righteous. Maybe he reduced the size of his own cut. Maybe he did both. While it's impossible to posit an actual answer to how the deed was done, the simplest conclusion is that somehow the dishonest manager figured out a win-win scenario. A way in which both he and each of the interesting, interested parties, his master and his master's debtors, benefited from his ingenious management style. Said quite plainly, the shrewd manager found a way to manage and he was commended for it. By resting with this story, by wrestling with this story, rather than immediately judging its veracity or making a judgment out of it, positive or negative in terms of the gift of Holy Scripture, we might notice what to me is one of its most important details that detail being that Luke tells us at the outset that it was the disciples who were the ones to whom this parable was directed. And so when trying to hear the parable in something closer to its original context and by putting aside any personal offense or confusion of our own, we can easily imagine what might have been the most challenging part. I believe that that part would have been quite offensive 
to the disciples. I believe that that part would have provoked the disciples out of their comfort zones, and I believe that that part would call them to reassess and to ask very hard questions. And I believe that that moment would have happened when at the very end of the parable, Jesus says to them, to the children of light, you know, the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of the light. They are cleverer than you are. I don't know if shrewd is an attribute that we normally suggest as a good word for Christian holy living. But Jesus seems to be telling us, you know, ladies and gentlemen, those people out there, the children of the age, are better managers. They're more shrewd than you are. Maybe it's time to get shrewd. A word that actually means, in just about every other place it's used in both the Christian New Testament and the Hebrew Scriptures, wise. Remember when he said, be wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove? Looking around at things, is it perhaps interesting to think about whether or not Jesus is asking us to become a little more shrewd in our work as the children of God, they are cleverer than you. It's not clear in the end exactly what Jesus might have meant or was asking his disciples to do. He doesn't say. But I think that it's probably fair to say that on one level he was telling his disciples that they were being naive. It seems to me that Jesus might have been telling his disciples that they needed to confront, contend, and get better at dealing with the issues of their own generation, and particularly with the matter of material goods and exchanges, with economics, with systems of exploitation, and oppression. Maybe even to realize their complicity in those systems. Before the lesson ends, Jesus will tell the children of light that along with their contemporaries, contemporaries, if they can't be faithful when it comes to dishonest wealth, no one will ever trust them with the true riches. That, to me, just takes us way, way down. If you can't be faithful with your dishonest wealth, nobody's going to give you the true riches. Conversations about reparations, conversations about sacred ground, conversations about all of those things that we're talking about in the church are matters of examining whether or not we have been faithful with our dishonest wealth 
And if we haven't been, Jesus says, you're never going to get to the, to, the, to the good part. The true riches and the eternal reward. As is often the case, the journey of the homiletician is an interesting one. And earlier in the week, as I searched and wrestled, taking time and space with today's gospel, I found a series of short articles published in the Washington Post in 2019, and the article was called Pride for Sale. The articles in the series highlighted one critical contradiction that attends corporate marketing of pride apparel. The article contends that the global market, the global garment industry is defined by exploitative labor conditions that render workers, particularly queer ones, vulnerable to abuse. For all the alleged solidarity that brands telegraph to their queer consumers, that solidarity is rarely extended to queer workers in the factories where apparel is sewn. Pride celebrations and the corporations that sponsor and profit off them are at this point deeply intertwined with far-reaching consequences. My favorite contributor to this series, a journalist named Vincent De Laurentiis, ended his short piece with this advice. Before tossing the glittery rainbow tank top in your cart to wear to the next parade, try to look past the sequins. Underneath the repression of the people it's supposed to celebrate might be woven in. This fall, we and other churches in the diocese will be using an alternative series of lectionary texts from the prophetic canon that will focus on justice, kindness, humility, and love. At St. Almond's, we will add a fourth category, generosity. The church will be reminding us that we need to confront, contend, and get better at dealing with the issues of our own generation and particularly with the economics and systems of exploitation and oppression that leads to the R word, which is reparations. If you haven't been faithful with dishonest wealth, who in the world is gonna trust you with true riches? Sayeth the Lord. In our customary time of Silence in response to the gospel, which you are invited to use as you will. Perhaps, perhaps the collect of the day is a good start. Amen. And let us pray. Lord, grant us the courage not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love all things heavenly. And even now, while we are placed among things that are passing away, to hold fast to those that shall endure. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.